Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. great service it has been so far. Good morning. Let me extend uh, my welcome to that that Tim and Hannah have already given. It's such a privilege to be able to to speak any Sunday, but particularly um, on Baptism Sunday. When we've, what we've witnessed, really, even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've seen these services before, it never gets old, does it? Like if you've seen these services before, it never gets old. And may it never become familiar to us to hear of and to see uh, stories before our eyes of people whose, whose lives have been turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to I talk to you, of course, about that today, about that hope. Because I think for, for many of us, we find ourselves sometimes stuck in life. I don't know if you've ever found yourself like stuck physically, like maybe claustrophobic in a place that you can't get out of. Maybe you're feeling a bit stuck now because you're kind of in the middle of a row. We were just at the Royal Albert Hall on Monday, Tuesday, just dropping that in there for something called the Leadership Conference. And uh, I love those events because there's like 5,000 people in the Royal Albert Hall in London worshiping Jesus. But in my mind, I'm always, as we, as we get to those events, I'm always trying to like set them up right. I like to sit on the end of an aisle. Do you know what I mean? I don't like to get stuck in the middle. You know, those sessions are long. They go for two hours sometimes and you'll be listening to talks and interviews. And there's no worse feeling, is there, than being stuck and you don't want to like disrupt people. I don't know if you've ever been to the Albert Hall. But we were in the choir stalls. We weren't involved singing in any choir sort of way. We were just using those seats, you know, as extra seats. And uh, the, the, the aisles are super narrow. So if, if you want to get out of the middle seat, you, everybody has to stand up and it's, it's, it's awkward. So I'm always getting there. I'm like getting there early if I can, you know, to try and like figure out like to get on the end. So then if I need to nip out for any particular reason, it's super easy. I don't like being stuck. Perhaps my, my other thing is um, when it comes to being stuck, one of my other, not fears, but something I kind of have to spend a lot of time preparing for psychologically is when you're taking young children on a plane and if you've ever experienced the excitement of taking a young child on a plane, then you know exactly what I mean. I think particularly about one time we flew, this sounds really grand, but we, we, we saved up a lot of money and we, we went from San Francisco to back to London. We'd been a, traveling a bit around America, not, not loads, just a bit. Sounds really grand, we'd been to America. And we're traveling back uh, from San Francisco to London. And I don't know if you've ever met my youngest child, Max, okay? He's nearly six now, but he is 150 miles an hour. Like, I think he's one of those children that when they get to 18, it all makes sense. And you're like, oh, you're an adventurer, or you're climbing mountains, it all makes sense now. It was a bit crazy when you were a kid, but you know, it all makes sense now. Max is gonna be one of those children. He's nearly six. Uh, but we flew from San Francisco to London, which is a 10-hour flight with Max aged nearly two years old. And I tell you what, that was, uh, talk about being stuck. Talk about feeling stuck 
in an aeroplane. That, that, that was a, an, an event. Like Max was, he pulled, the worst part was like, at one point he was sat on Hannah's lap, I think, and he was grabbing the chair in front of him and shaking it, you know, the person in front. And then he grabbed the person's hair and started pulling the person's hair. And you know, I don't know who I feel more sorry for, myself or the passenger who was just trying to get back from San Francisco to London. It was a night flight, that passenger's trying to sleep pulling on the hair, he's doing his max move, and, and you know, he just didn't sleep. Like 10 hours, everybody else is trying to sleep. We're just like, I think I had a migraine actually as well. So you should feel most sorry for, for Hannah really. But you know that feeling of, of being stuck, and you're like, oh man, I cannot wait for this to be over. I think like the Pope I got off that flight, knelt down, kissed the ground, was so glad to be in some spacious place. <laughs> but you know that feeling perhaps in situations when you felt stuck, but you probably also, if you're like me, know the feeling in life of being stuck. And I reckon many of us, if not all of us in this room have experienced that in life, that feeling of being stuck, be it because of a health concern a relationship breaking down, something that's going on in your, in your job or in your family life. And you, you just think, flip, how am I ever gonna get out of this situation? I feel stuck. Well, if that's you, if you have ever felt or even feel stuck today, then I want to talk directly into your situation. I want to talk to you about how you can have your life radically turned upside down in three ways. The first is curiosity. I think that's where it starts. Curiosity, community, and a commitment. If you want to have your life turned around today, you need a curiosity, a community, and a commitment. We're journeying through a series called the Essential Series, lots of different essential aspects of the Christian life. And today, of course, we're thinking about baptism, that public and powerful proclamation that we've, we've witnessed today as those five stood here and were baptized, but also declared their faith. Baptism is a Christian essential. And we're going to be looking at a passage I've never preached on before. It's from Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading from verse 26. This is a story about a guy called Philip. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch has a curiosity. But he doesn't have a community. And he's not made a commitment. That might be you this morning. You may be sat here curious. And this passage, I believe, is going to speak to us powerfully. So let me read it. This is from Acts chapter 8, beginning to read from verse 26. And it's a bit of a journey, so just try and get yourself into this mindset. Context-wise, Jesus has gone back to heaven. This is like the history of the early church. So if you've never read the Bible before, this is where we're up to in the scriptures. Like this is the very beginning of the early church. And uh, Philip is one of the apostles. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Just be noticing a few things here. This is somebody who's not an insignificant person in terms of stature. He holds responsibility for the queen of Ethiopia and is somebody who's, who's gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. This is in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. The Spirit told Philip, go to, the, to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Philip said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Quote, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away from the eunuch and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way with his life radically turned upside down by Jesus Christ. That's what we've witnessed here today. It's the same as it was back then. You've witnessed it today. We're reading about it 2,000 years ago. People whose lives have been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. And if you want your life turned upside down, if you want to see transformation, then you need a curiosity, a community, and a commitment. First of all, a curiosity. Look with me here in verse 30. It says, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked him. How can I understand, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invites Philip up to come and sit with him. You see, this eunuch is interested. He's curious. He's not... He's not fully there yet. He's not made that commitment, but he's curious. And that might be like you today. 
You may have come along because you've come to witness one of your friends being baptized. You may have just thought for some reason, I need to come to church today. I want to come to church today, but I don't quite know why. You're curious. And every Sunday I get up here and preach, one of the things that I remind myself is that there are some curious people here who are leaning in and are listening because you've got a curiosity. You've got a question. What is this all about? What is truth? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Is all of this God stuff, is there anything to it? Can I know God? Is there a plan for my life? Is there a purpose? You've got questions and you're curious. Just like this Ethiopian was curious. You've got curiosity in your bones. Some of you may not be curious. You might just be indifferent. And if that's you, I would encourage you to to almost pray for curiosity, to pray to know more, to pray to know the truth. Because curiosity can lead us into adventures and new places and new discoveries. It can lead us to a place of commitment. And you might have figured out that sometimes in life people have passions that are not your passion. Sometimes, I don't know, I might be in the office and, uh, and Tim and David will be talking about football or something like that. And, and I tell you what, there's, two, there's, there's basically one thing that happens when Tim and David, who, we, who work in the office with us here at the Mint, start talking about football. Some people get curious and the football people group together, which is basically just Tim and David, to be honest. And then everybody else is not curious, is just kind of like, well, let's talk about something else, like the weather or something else that we're interested in. There's the curious and there's the disinterested. And it's the same when we proclaim the gospel. Some of you are curious. Some of you might not be that interested. But curiosity is what this, what we see in this passage from the Ethiopian eunuch. And that leads him, secondly, into our second point, into community. We read, don't we, as he talks with Philip, his eyes begin to be opened You can picture it, can't you? There he is in this chariot, this important official. He's reading these ancient words that he doesn't quite understand, that are alien to him, that are foreign to him. He's grappling with it. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's that curious, but he doesn't quite understand what the words mean. What he needs is community. Do you know, today, I think we are more isolated than ever when it, when it comes to these big discussions of life and God and faith. I think our world is more polarized than it's ever been before. And we try to figure things out alone in a way that previous generations perhaps didn't. We Google things and we ask Google for answers to questions that we might have and algorithms push us further into our predetermined worldview as we surround ourselves with virtual voices that are more like ours and agree with our opinion. 
We're devoid of community, I think, in our day and age, which is why Alpha is such a precious space that we hold at the Minster, because we create an environment where people can bring their curiosity, their questions, the things that they're unsure or uncertain about, and they can be discussed in the context of community. And we can hear different opinions and different angles as we, as we grapple with the truth. It's why we're so passionate about creating those spaces at Alpha. And it's in that community, as the Ethiopian eunuch speaks with Philip, that truth begins to emerge. There's a discussion that takes place about this passage about who Jesus is. I think it's a human need of ours to speak with other people, to commune with other people, to bring our problems and our questions and to chew them over in the context of community. I think we're absolutely built for that. And then there's curiosity, there's community, And then finally, there is a commitment. Verse 37, I love this. It says, oh, it's verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. This must be the fastest baptism class ever in the history of mankind. And it reminds us that it's all grace. This Ethiopian eunuch, just the light bulb goes on. He understands that the person he's reading about in the scriptures is Jesus. It says Philip explains to him, starting with that scripture and going through all the rest, the good news about Jesus. And as he hears the good news about Jesus, he follows his curiosity, he talks about it in community, he makes a commitment to Jesus Christ. He jumps in the water and he's baptized. And I love that. I love that. I love the fact that the second he gets it is like the moment later he's baptized. We've got a pool here. If there's anybody who's just got it, I will baptize you right now. We used to have a vicar, didn't we? Me and Tim, when we were kids, when we were 18, the the vicar of the church, Derek, Delboy. No, we didn't call him Delboy. We should have called him Delboy. That would have been good. Derek, he always, after he'd baptize people, he'd say, anybody else? Anybody else? Because if you've just, if the pennies just dropped for you and you've just come to faith in Jesus, And you're like, yes, I believe. I think based on Acts chapter eight, there needs to be no delay in jumping in the water. And Derek would stand there. I don't think nobody ever actually did it because it's quite a scary thing, isn't it? But I would do it. I would do it. Just thought I'd give a little moment there, just in case, just in case. Because I always think about, I thought about this yesterday, and I was thinking about the practicalities about clothes and towels and things like that, but I don't think this, I suppose a warmer climate, wasn't it? 
It's a warmer climate in, uh, in, uh, in Acts chapter 8. And after he was baptized, he could just dry off in the sun. It's a little bit harder in Preston. But I love the immediacy of it. And it might be something. There might be something in it, though. You may have recently come to faith. You might still be following your curiosity. And you might think, oh, could God, could God use me? Well, God couldn't use me because I've only just come to faith. These guys here, you know, you five, you might be thinking, oh, I've only just come to faith. And maybe I need to get a few years under my belt before God can use me. But no, God wants to use you powerfully to make his name known. You see, when we follow our uh, curiosity, when we get into community, when we make that commitment to Jesus, however strong or weak our faith might feel, God wants to use you to make his name known. So I want to leave you with the good news of Jesus this morning. If you're coming to church for perhaps the first time, maybe to witness the baptisms, I want you to know that the good news is that God is real. He is here. He is for you, not against you. And some of you think God's against you. You think he's like a sort of cosmic policeman in the sky waiting for you to mess up. But what you need to know today is that God loves you. Despite what you've done, despite those things that you think hold you back, God is here. He loves you. We have all fallen short. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. And the good news is that Jesus has entered into our world. He's laid down his life on the cross. He's taken it, all of our sin, all of our shame. He took it into the grave. That's why we baptize by full immersion because it's a symbol that the old life is dead. The old me is gone. The old, what's that song? The old me is dead and gone. I think T.I. sang that song. Yes. The old me is dead and gone. He was right. But that's true. That is what the gospel is all about. The old me has gone. It's been crucified with Christ. It's been laid in the grave. And I've been raised to life again. Follow your curiosity. Get into community. Make a commitment to Jesus even today. Should we stand together? I'd love to pray for us. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.